Good morning. You may be seated. All right. We're so glad you're here. My name is Bobby. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. Uh, you know, as, as Christians, I think all of us are aware that we should love our neighbors, uh, that we should uh, be kind to them, that especially those who are in need, that we should impart the wisdom that God has given to us to lead to their flourishing. But how do you, how do you get started with that? Uh, if, if you're like me, sometimes you're like, I don't know how to, how, to, how to meet someone, how to know that they're in need, how to know that they would be receptive to what I would have to say. Do you just like walk up to someone and say, hey, I'm a Christian. I will now mentor you. How does that, that's kind of weird. Well, we have what we think is, is a good way. Uh, we've been working this summer on a new ministry called Job One, where Sojourn New Albany will partner with local employers here in Southern Indiana to help people find work. So uh, we, we partner with these employers. They offer jobs to people who need jobs. We put them through training. We help them get started on a job. And then here's where we, the members of Sojourn New Albany, come in. We offer to mentor these people uh, for the first 8 to 12 weeks while they are on the job. Now, this is not teaching them the technical aspects of their job. That's what job training is for. And we'll, in fact, we'll put them through a four-day course for things like that. But what we will do is have the opportunity to walk alongside someone and simply impart biblical principles of living that will help them not only on their job, but in all of life. So I would like you to pray this week about becoming a mentor in job one, a life success coach. When you came in, we handed you a bulletin that has events on the back. It has today's scripture on the inside. And we handed you with that bulletin an insert that includes the link to an application to become a mentor for job one. We've also got it on the screen right here behind me. So please take that insert home. Don't forget it on the seat back or on the seat when you leave. Take that home. Visit the link on the website. You can check out the, the, the application itself. will teach you a little bit more about what would be expected of you. And if you need even more information than that, stop by the welcome table before you exit for the parking lot. You can pick up one of these mentor overview books, which will go into a lot more detail what job one is, what would be expected of you, what some of the guidelines are. It's one hour a week for eight to 12 weeks. You would set that hour. You could decide, is this in person? Are we going to talk on the phone? Are we going to do email, text, or some combination of those things? So pick up the booklet if you'd like, visit the website, and if you uh, pray about it, feel led, please fill that out. Uh, we will be launching this program within the next month. All right? All right. Now, I am very excited uh, for this morning uh, to share with you, to, to be able to extend this pulpit to Daniel and Kristen Wainwright. Uh, Daniel and Kristen have been friends of mine for 14 or 15 years or so. We actually came to Sojourn for the first time, the first day together back in, I think, 2004. Daniel and Kristen are full-time missionaries in France. They are church planners in France. Uh, Daniel will preach from us, uh, from God's word to us this morning from Ephesians 3. Kristen will also be sharing a testimony. So Daniel and Kristen, uh, where are you? There you go. All right. I freaked out for just a second. I didn't see you. How do I miss the tallest guy in the room? Of course you're here. <laughs> Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Ephesians 3, verses 6 through 21. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, 
members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You be seated. Let me pray for us. God, I just thank you for today, the opportunity to have the freedom to come together to worship and to hear your word. Lord, I pray today that you would just uh, speak through me, allow the scripture to boldly proclaim the truth that's found in your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Let me get set up here. So good morning. It's like 5.30 in France, so I'm ready for dinner. So we're going to go through this pretty quickly, all right? But seriously, good morning. Grace and peace to you from, wait for it, Eglise Protestante Evangelique de la Croix-Rousse. We just started it this year, so we can uh, celebrate that fact. In 2013, our family, uh, Kristen, Nora, Anna, and Ella left. Um, Sojourn Community sent us out. I was a midtown pastor, and they sent us out to, to plant churches in France, and specifically in Lyon. And so since 2013, we've been in, in Lyon in a specific neighborhood called Croix-Rousse, where there has been no evangelical church uh, in that neighborhood. It's about the population density of Brooklyn. So about 35,000 people with no evangelical church until this year. And so we can give honor and praise and glory to what God is doing in France. Uh, we're excited because not just in that neighborhood, but in neighborhoods adjoining, whether it's in Caluire or down in the, in the second and first, there's basically 75,000 people that now have a church that they can walk to within 15 minutes. And so we're excited about this fall. Uh, in this fall, in September, We'll start two services a month where we'll have a worship service where we'll meeting in a hotel room, a hotel conference room, and then two uh, services where we'll have community groups in our home. 
So sounds kind of familiar, right? Sojourn gathered and sojourn scattered from the old days. But we are super excited about what season God has for us. Um, and so knowing that we'd be in Louisville area, Joan and Bobby asked me to uh, preach and for Kristen to share. And we're just thankful for the opportunity to be here, um, to be home with family. And we're thankful for just to get to share what God is doing. And then what, what it's made me do is process. Like, I don't know about you, but I don't like processing. That takes time and energy and emotional energy. And so for the last three or four weeks, I've just been processing kind of what God has been teaching our family. And so when we first moved to Lyon about five years ago, uh, we had Anna and Ella who were twins. And so they were about two years old. And we had Nora who was four or five heading into kindergarten. And so she was repeating. She had had kindergarten here in the States and we repeated it so that she could just be fluent in French. And so for that solid year, she just kept learning the things that she had already learned, but just trying to do it in French. But for that, that whole year, we basically live on top of the hill and our, on the school where the girls were going is down in the bottom. And so we had the double stroller and, and we had our kids. And so to take Nora to school meant you go in the morning, you pick them up, you come back, you eat lunch, then you take them back, you pick them up, and then you, you come back in the e- afternoon, evening. And so, you know, six miles a day, 22 flights of stairs, you know, we're all good, right? We lost, lost 20 pounds that first year. And so um, through all that experience, you know, we were doing this, I was thinking of the French word, trajet, but we were going like to the school and we realized like three-fourths through the year that one of our friends, Maude, she said, hey, did you ever go through the park? And we're like, park, what? And, and realized that like, you know, where we had been going that long, long way through and, and, or if we didn't go that way, we went down this long, narrow pathway that was like over 120 stairs and you go straight down the hill and that's how we would go to school. But lo and behold, there was a park between our apartment and the school. And so the first time we went through, we were like, oh my goodness, this is so beautiful. It's like this beautiful pathway and you see the city and you see the trees. And not only is, is it this beautiful pathway, but there's three slides so Nora was like literally going down the first slide, and then she would walk over, go down the second slide. She'd hit the third slide, and she's at the bottom of the hill going to school. It's like the French, that's what we do in France, right? We just enjoy life with our food and cheese and wine, right? And so, you know, I don't know about you, but certain seasons of life, we go down these different pathways, and we think we've figured it out. and We go down this pathway and we realize this is not going the way we intended it. This isn't sustainable. Um, for a season there, we couldn't go through the park because we had a stroller, a double stroller, you know. Um, but now every day we get to go through that park and we get to enjoy um, seeing God's beauty. In the same way, you know, sometimes in life and situations, there, there are difficult seasons and then there are good seasons. And there are seasons where you can't see God's beauty and other times where you just are amazed at the goodness of God. And so today we're going to be looking at a text in Ephesians 3, which basically for us was just a super, has been encouraging for us as a source of encouragement. Because in those seasons over the last five years, there's been days where, you know, I, I didn't know what I was going to do. You know, there was a moment I remember sitting at Cafe Jador and I was like, I can't do this. Like, I don't know if you ever had that moment where you're just like, I have nothing, you know. Um, Kristen was struggling through some, some uh, suffering and thinking about her father who had just passed away. And it was a heavy season for our life. But yet, 
God reminds us in this text and this scripture what he is doing. And so we're going to look at it in two sections. One, about how God works through himself and through others. And the, section, and the second section, we'll be looking at just how he works through ourselves. You know, it's almost like a three-legged stool, God, others, and self. And I don't know if you've ever tried to sit on a two-legged stool, but you usually fall off. Um, so we need all three legs. And so today we're going to look at all three of those. And so like I said, we're going to barrel through these. We've got seven truths in 30 minutes. So, all right, truth one, God has an eternal purpose and plan realized in Christ Jesus. Verse 11, that was according to the eternal purpose for that he is realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul writing to the church of Ephesus around 60, 65 AD from prison in the midst of suffering, and he's telling them to not worry about him, that it was all for their glory. He was speaking to the Gentiles and telling them that, hey, you were once aliens to this covenant that God had for Abraham, and now through Jesus, you are in. You are in the in crowd. You're no longer outside. And to the Jews, he was saying, hey, you think it's all about you? It's not. It's about everyone, and God loves everyone. And it's not just through your stones, but it's also going to be through the stones of Gentiles where God is going to build his nation, and that we were all will be sons and daughters of Abraham. And so whether you're in the wrong or right family, the wrong or right culture, you speak the wrong or right language, you speak the wrong or right, um, I don't know, uh, wrong or right way of doing things, like this is the right way and this is the wrong way, God uses his gospel and nothing will thwart it. The Bible says that it makes it clear that God has a unified plan for history. His ultimate purpose, second of all, is a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. And thirdly, for all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Christ, 2 Corinthians 1.20. One of our fellow pastors in France, I call him the Pope, um, because there's several of us that, that meet together once a month. And in Florent, has been in ministry for over 30 years. Uh, when the first church that, that we're a part of now, when they started, they were basically just a house group. And now they have a very solid church there in Lyon and have been there for almost 30 years in a different neighborhood. And so uh, Florian was telling us about a project. I kind of call him the Tim Keller of France as well. So it's, he's either the Pope or he's Tim Keller, one of the two. Um, and so he was telling us about a project he's been working on where they basically been trying to sum up the Bible into smaller sections. Like, what is God's story? So how do you take God's story and say, down to two pages? How do you take it from two pages to one pages? One page. How do you take it from one page to one word? And he summarizes God's story with this one word, confidence. Confidence. I've thought about that word, about how would my prayer life change if I had confidence in that God heard my prayers? How would it, how would it change my life if if I had confidence that God truly saw me as his image bearer and that I was a son and daughter of him? How would my boldness in sharing the gospel change if I had confidence that it was his spirit that was empowering me to change lives, not through my actions, but through his spirit? You see, confidence was in this, in this situation is what was leading the disciples to sharing the gospel. In Acts 1.8, Jesus is speaking to the disciples after, 40, after he is resurrected and he's spending time now 
um, with the disciples for 40 days because they didn't get it the first time. So he's reteaching them the story of what was happening before he ascends into heaven. And he looks out on the mountain and he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I mean, picture this. He's on the mountain. He's looking out over Israel. He's looking out over the Mediterranean. Eglise protestant evangelique de la croix is fulfillment of what Jesus was saying to the disciples that day across the Mediterranean in Lyon that happened this year. Sojourn New Albany is a fulfillment of what God was saying to Abraham that I was going to be a fa- you're going to be a father of many nations. Sojourn New Albany is a fulfillment to what God was doing back then. Truth two, God uses people and the church in certain times, in certain places for his eternal glory. Verse seven, of his gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. The grace of God given to Paul enables him to serve others. It's by, his, by God's grace alone that enables Paul to serve others. I mean, if you're honest and you think about it, I mean, Paul would have been considered in today's society a domestic t- terrorist at that time. Saul would have been. Um, but God took this domestic terrorist and made him a warrior for Christ. In the same way that he saved Saul, he saved some of my friends like Jamel, who I met in North Africa, who years before had taken up the fight for jihad and literally was fighting against the Americans, was literally fighting against um, what he thought was a just war, was the right way of doing things for Muhammad. And so until one day he had a dream and a vision and, and saw that what he was doing and the God he was serving was false and it was the wrong God. And he stepped back, he laid down his guns literally and walked away and never returned. Now, if you talk to Jamel, he's one of the first, if you meet him, he does nothing to his name. He's not wealthy by any, any accords, but he's experienced a richness and a profoundness of God's grace in his life. And when you talk to him, you, he just smiles. Like he's one of those guys, when you enter the room, he's just smiling. And there's a joy there that I've never experienced. Why? Because God's grace is huge for him. And the same way, that's what Paul's saying here. The grace that's been given to me is amazing, is beautiful. And the same way that he saved Jamel, he also saved me. He saved Kristen. And at 21 years of old, 20 years of age, uh, he called Kristen and I to go overseas. I remember we had just been married for about one year, and we just felt like God was calling us to do something different. And so we signed up through this company and, and moved to, to Richmond, Virginia for training. First day, sounds corny, it's kind of crazy, but I'm reading in my Bible, Esther, story of Esther, for such a time as this, right? This is like every Christian testimony, right? For such a time as this. But literally, it was for such a time as this. And like that morning, we walk into the assembly for the first day of training, and the towers fall, September 11th, 2001. And so our trajectory of what missions was going to look like working in an Arab country, in a closed country, changed immediately. Um, so God gave us the opportunity, though, in 2002 to 2004 to work in a closed country in North Africa and to see um, his gospel go forward. And through that experience and through those, those times, we just learned a lot about how big God's world is, about how big God's grace is meeting and talking to people like Jamel. 
But also, he changed us. He changed us. Instead of, you know, I always thought I was going to be a pastor working in the States. Um, all of a sudden, I was a businessman, and I was working with oil companies, talking about leadership. Kristen always wanted to work with the poor. All of a sudden, she gets a certificate for Trinity College of London, and she's teaching English. And we lived there by ourselves for over a year. And we saw God's continued faithfulness through that experience. We came back and thought, we come back to the States, we're going to be here two years, and we're out of here. We're going to go do God's mission, right? And we got here, and we fell in love with these ska-playing music musicians with lots of tattoos and lots of beards on Bardstown Road. And we stayed for eight, ten, ten years. And through that experience, you know, we had a dog, we had the house, we had the car. Um, we kind of lived in the ghetto, but it was all good, right? Um, and so through that experience, we learned so much about God's grace, about how he works through individuals and how he works through the church, like Sojourn, and how he's wanting to impact not just today, tomorrow, but all of eternity. In verse 10, you see, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. You know, our work through the church is schooling those fallen angels. It's, it's teaching them about the right relationship of submitting to the authority of Jesus. How submitting to a life with Jesus is more fruitful and will change our life more than being apart from him. Um, one of my friends, Philip Moore, says there's only two types of churches. A church that remembers that it was once a church plant and one that forgets. Imagine just thinking about like a hundred years after basically Paul's writing to the church of Ephesus, there's a group of Christians from Asia, Greek minor, um, that, that move from where they are to, um, to France. And then in France, they, they go up the river from Marseille up to Lyon. And in 177 AD, there was a group of Christians that were professing this resurrected Christ as, as a part of the Jewish community there in Lyon. The Christianity there, it was crazy. They allowed men and women of social levels all social levels, to gather and pray together. Slaves and masters, rich and poor, Asians, Gauls, and Romans. They refused to sacrifice to the pagan gods of the Roman culture, and they refused to just um, consent to worship the emperor. They only wanted to worship the one true Savior. And so when trouble erupted and, and things got crazy, um, being a Christian was they were in danger, you know? I'd say Christians were turning the world upside down long before Stranger Things ever became popular. And so in the spring of 177 AD um, in Lyon, there was a quarantine. They pulled all the Christians together. They put them in a prison, and one by one, they just started beating them, pulling them down, um, torturing them. Blandina was one of those girls. Um, she was 16 years of old age, and she was filled with such power, the writings from the, the church says this, Blandina was filled with such power that those who tortured her one after the other in every way from morning till evening were wearied and tired, confessing that they had been baffled for they had no other torture that could apply to her. But the blessed woman, like a noble athlete, recovered her strength in the midst of her confession and her declaration. And her declaration was this, I am a Christian and there is no evil done amongst us. Days later, um, I think we have a picture of it. It's about five minutes walk from our apartment in this amphitheater. She was put in a net, put in a sack, thrown out into the middle in front of everyone and gored to death by a bull. 
That's the history of Christianity in Lyon. But that still didn't thwart the gospel. Amen? Years later in the 16th century, you have a guy named John Calvin who's in Geneva who never wanted to be in Geneva. He was going to Strasbourg. But God had him in Geneva for this season. And all these refugees, all these refugees from France were coming to Geneva um, trying to flee from the persecution that was going on. And so they come to Geneva and they're listening to John Calvin preaching not once on Sunday, but five times a week. They were listening to this sermons and listening to the gospel. And as they started listening to the gospel, they started having a heart, not for the good life, but for a life in midst of persecution back in France. And so in 1555, listen to these statistics. Calvin and his supporters planted five underground churches in France. Four years later, they planted 100 churches in France. By 1562, seven years, Calvin's Geneva, with the help of some of his sister cities, had planted more than 2,150 churches in France. meant that 3 million Protestants out of 20 million French uh, citizens. See, to be a missionary in France meant that you didn't put their name down on any kind of list. You didn't show that there was missionary activity. It was literally a closed country, right? You didn't let people know what was going on out of fear of persecution. And still, seven years later after that, in 1572, 70,000 Protestants were killed. So much of the history of France, if you feel the weight, is the church rising up and getting knocked down. Church rising up and getting knocked down. But again, nothing will thwart the gospel. Today, after World War II, where there was only basically 50,000 Christians, today there's about 500,000 Christians, evangelical Christians in France. It's grown about 10 times since World War II. There's churches, one church per 30,000, and the goal is to see one church per 10,000. And in places like Pont, where uh, we, have, we have friends that have planted a church about 45 minutes outside of Lyon. He, he is struggling to grow a church from 30 to now they're at about 100, 110 on a good day, right? They had two baptisms last year. And for a French church, they're thriving. Average French church size, 45. So they're a thriving church. And you know what he told me? He's like, I wish the gospel wasn't true. I, I wish it wasn't true because it's so hard. But the reality is that the gospel is true and these people need the gospel and we need to do whatever we can to reach this city. It's a, it's a church plant where there's basically 45 to 60,000 people within a 15 minute drive in this church plant. We have this many people that need the gospel that need to hear the message. Nothing will thwart the gospel and so for me, what I find hope in, in this text and in this specific part of the scripture is that we can trust that God is doing his work. He's doing his plan. That in, in France, it's normal to get frustrated because things don't move as quick. Like, I get two things done during the day. Praise the Lord, I got two things done. Like, it's hard, it's difficult, it's frustrating. Churches don't move as fast. There's not transfer growth. It's a long, steady process of even bringing God into the conversation. But what we're learning to do more and more for Kristen and I and for our team is trusting God that God is at work and not our performance. That through God and what he does through his grace, we have freedom to just serve and to work and trust and go to bed at night knowing that it's God that saves people. 
Truth three, we cultivate beauty with our neighbors by intentionally reflecting the beauty that is already present through people and place. See, there's this mystery to the Gentiles. They didn't understand what what was coming for them or what was coming to them. In the same way, there's this mystery in France of the fact that, what is, what is this gospel? Like, I remember sitting with a, a friend a couple years ago, and I shared with him, I was a Christian, I shared the gospel, young dude, smart, professional, and he's like, I've never met a Christian before. You're the first person. And he looked at me like I was some archaic like person, like that I actually believed in the gospel, you know? That's the culture. That's, the, that's what's going on in France. But he was amazed, and he wanted to know more, right? And so when the team came from Sojourn recently to do the Sojourn uh, from Sojourn Music, it was just beautiful to see that sometimes um, we don't have to create. Like, we're image bearers. As Christians, we're image bearers. Sometimes we just need to reflect the light that's already in us. And we just need to reflect the light that's already going on in the culture and when the team came to do the music, it was so amazing to look down in the courtyard and see French people out on their patios look, or, you know, the terraces and looking down and listening to the music. We were enjoying good food and good, um, good food and good conversation. And people were just enjoying the music. And there was beauty in that. It was beauty that's found in the Lord. And so what we're praying is that we continue to just love on the city and that they would see the light that's found in our lives as a reflection of God's love for them. C.S. Lewis, in his sermon and writings in the weight of his glory, he said this phrase that stuck with me over the last couple of months, that truth for, we are all members of the body of Christ. We are all members of one another. Paul saw that the work that God did in his life was a complete gift, and it wasn't out of his own power, but it was for the benefit of others. He didn't have a high esteem of himself and he didn't have a low esteem. He just thought of himself less. Like, shouldn't that be our prayer? That we would just think of ourselves less? I, I know when I talk to somebody that I think is pretty humble, I realize they never say, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a humble person, right? They just don't think of themselves that much. Um, in the same way, in verse eight, to me, though I am very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. When we don't think higher or lower of ourselves and we think rightly, we give ourselves the opportunity to fail and we give the people around us the opportunity to fail. We give ourselves the opportunity to be authentic and vulnerable and share that we're normal, that this is the normal Christian life. We can take the mask off and be real with one another because we've been saved by God's grace. It's not based on our performance. It's only by God and His grace. Last month, I made a rude remark. It was just one of those times where you say something and you're just like, uh-oh, like, how can I roll that back in, you know? And to one of my teammates, and we were with some other friends, and I was like, oh, man, like, you just had that ugly feeling, you know, of just in your gut. And so I confessed to him and asked for forgiveness, and he forgave me. But then also I had to go to the other people and say, hey, what I said was really rude and just wasn't kind, and please forgive me. And they're like, oh, Daniel, it's okay. But I, I felt God's love in that because I got to be real with my sin, and part of what Calvin talks about is that we need to have a right understanding of who God is, but we also have, need to have a right understanding of who we are in Him, in our identity in Christ. But what I love about this quote from C.S. Lewis is he's just saying, we're just not, you're just not a member of Sojourn. Like, you belong to one another. You belong to one another. And it's not just the, the Western church and the persecuted church. 
you belong to one another. It's not just the Hispanic church and the white church, you belong to one another. And it's not just the French church and it's not the U.S. church, we belong to one another. And so I know that the French church is spiritually poor and resource poor, and they need you all to step up. In the same way, I'm calling the French church because guess what? I think the U.S. church needs the French church. They've been living as a minority for years, and you're starting to experience what that looks like. So not only does the French church need the U.S. church, but the U.S. church needs the French church. And we do that because we belong to one another as one church. Verse 9 We bring light for everyone, the plan of the mystery. As we work together, like I said, we reflect the light of the gospel. We influence others as we influence culture. You know, how could you be scheming for God's kingdom? How could you be scheming and maybe what you could do here in New Albany? Maybe it's with this project that Bobby talked about. Maybe it's with other projects. But how can you reflect the light that God is doing in your life, Christian, to those around you? You see, In verses 1 through 13, many of us have traveled. I don't know about you. We've gone down this pathway, and we've we've done it. We've we've worked hard. We've loved God. We try to love God. We love people, and 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 we're still left there going. I don't. There's something more. You know, there's something that's keeping me from really understanding more about God's love. And I think it's that third stool. It's not just God, and not just others, but it's ourselves. For some of us, you know, we're like the little girls um, in Leap. I have three girls, so a lot of princess movies and a lot of other dance movies, right? Um, but in the movie Leap, they're at the end, and they have this dance scene. It's like a dance-off. I think that's what they say. Um, and at the end, the director's looking at these two girls, Felici and Camille, and he's like, why do you dance? You know, that's, that's the final question. Why do you dance? And Camille, who had been fighting Felici the whole movie, of hour and a half Disney movie, but Pixar movie, but hour and a half. And what she says is this, because, because my mama makes me. Like, why do you dance? Because my mama makes me. And I think some of us sometimes, we maybe started this Christian life because our mama makes us or our mama made us, but that will not sustain us. At some point, that script has to become our own script. That story has to become our own story. And that can only come as part of a flourishing Christian life. What Paul started in verse 1, he finishes up in 14 through 21. And this is what, to me, just really stuck out these last month that I don't think I ever had experienced before. And I feel like he prays this prayer, verses 14 through 21, kind of like a Richard Plass or, or, or Richard Rohr or maybe Robert Chong as he prays this over the church of Ephesus. And the first reason he says is for truth 5 is that my spiritual transformation is through a humble, long-game approach. He says, verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. See, it wasn't out of his performance. It was found in humility. It was found in desperation and a longing. He had to get on his knees. How do we flourish in our Christian lives? It starts on our knees. It starts with realizing that we're not in control. It starts reminding ourselves that it's not my kingdom come, but his kingdom come. It's not my will be done, but it's his will be done in our lives. Where can we settle into the tragedy of life and be comfortable to know that it's God that's working in us? Truth six, I will resolve that there will be suffering in order to discover my identity in Christ. Verses 15 through 17. You know, like, 
when I'm in France, one of the things that's the hardest part is, you know, I have a master's degree. I went to college. I want to feel educated sometimes when I talk. But guess what? When I talk in French, it doesn't sound very educated. It doesn't sound real good, you know? Like, I come from central eastern Kentucky. We have a different accent. It's a little bit more beautiful than Indiana accent, but it, it's an accent. It doesn't sound good. People know real quick that I'm not from Croix you know? Um, I kid people sometimes, I'm sorry, I have a big accent. I, I, I come from Croix And they're like, ha ha, yeah. Like, no, you don't. Um, but the glories and riches that, that Paul is talking about here, the mysteries that that will be revealed is the same riches that we get the chance to speak to ourselves about. The same glories and riches that Paul's telling the Gentiles about is the same gospel that we get to tell ourselves about. And sometimes we forget that the same gospel that we need to proclaim to others is the same gospel that we need to be shooting right back at ourselves. Truth seven, I'll leverage lessons and truths from life with power and wisdom fueled by the gospel. There's a painting by Caravaggio that we have up, um, the conversion of Saul. And I like it because when you look at it, you know, it's a picture of Saul getting knocked off his horse. And I feel like these last five years, there's been a couple of times where I feel like I've got knocked off my donkey. Um, but here, Saul's getting knocked off his horse. Um, you know, God deals with us sometimes in shocking, sudden, even brutal ways. Some of you experience profound loss and heaviness and struggle. But always his purpose is to do good and to do good through us. And like the horse here, God is mighty and scary, but very careful where he treads. He never crushes us. On the contrary, he raises us up to new beginnings. And Kristen's going to come forward and share a little bit about her story. But these failures through the power of the Holy Spirit in the presence of a strong community produces godly wisdom. It gives us a new pathway, not just the old pathway of what we knew, but a new pathway found in a flourishing relationship with Jesus. So last October, Sojourn had um, a Sojourn International retreat where they invited workers, missionaries from all over the world where they've sent them out to gather together. Um, and they asked Daniel and I to share a testimony. And they sent us a question just a little bit before. And the question they gave us to reflect on and to share about was this. How has your life and work on the field led you to greater worship of God? And how has God led you into a deep relationship with him? And so I sat there with this question for a while and to be really honest, I started to sweat, and then I started to panic, <laughs> and I was really tempted just to scrounge up um, any worthwhile examples of how God has brought me to and taught me how to worship Him so beautifully over our time um, in Lyon, France, and I thought about the ways that I responded to God in the most faith-filled and joy-filled and peace-filled ways and I realized right away that there was just no way of getting around the truth that my story is interwoven with this theme that, to be honest, I'd really rather not confess to you either. Um, but the truth is this, that I really want to be a perfect missionary and a perfect wife 
and a perfect mother. And I really want to be a perfect cross-cultural adapter, perfect French speaker, and I just want to do it really well. And most of all, I just want to get it right. And when I think about these past four years and my story and me as a worshiper before my God, I don't see me getting it right. Instead, I see ways that I've fallen really short. And my initial thought when I read that question was, I have not done this well. What do I have to share? And I have this picture in my mind of someone who's before God worshiping the right way. And she would be able to give you all kinds of really good examples of the way that um, she ran to God right away when she was afraid. And that when she read the truth and the promises in God's scripture, she just absorbed them without hesitation. And that when she had doubts and fears, that they were just a fleeting thought and they just withered away immediately without lingering for any time at all. And in my mind, um, I have this picture of this, this person who worships well, and she's wearing this like worship costume, if you will. Um, and she's just standing there before God in all of her costume glory, and it's ridiculous. And this costume represents all of the tools that I've used to measure myself as a worshiper, as a child of God, as a mother, as a wife as a missionary, and it's restrictive, and it's super uncomfortable. But here's the kicker. God is not concerned one bit about my measuring tools. He just looks at me, and he sees Jesus, his perfect son. And he sees me as the proud father that he is, and he smiles at my silly, childlike effort in my crazy costume, and he just sees me, his daughter, right through the lens of his perfect son, Jesus Christ. And he lovingly takes me in, and he reminds me of how deeply he loves me and how I am his, just like we sang about earlier. And he patiently and lovingly helps me get that crazy costume off. And he lets me just sit with him, totally loved. More than I could ever hope for or imagine and in the freedom of the Holy Spirit. The thing that I've learned over the past nearly five years in worshiping God in Lyon, France, is that it's only by his grace that I worship him. And it's him molding my soul as he takes my face and he points it to his And he holds it there, and he reminds me on repeat through Scripture, through my husband, through my teammates, through my friends, through loving care from Sojourn, and through family, nature, and a whole lot of really good songs with truth-filled lyrics, that he loves me, and that he is good, and that he is not going to leave me here alone, that he is at work in me and through me. And that's where I found myself with his hands holding my face to his on our very first night in France. We had just arrived in Lyon, and we were in an apartment we were renting for a few days, and I was, um, had just gotten our girls to bed. There were lots of city noises outside. I can remember it just like yesterday, and every time this memory 
comes back, it's like I transport in time, and there I am in this very moment. And I'm laying on the couch in this apartment with tears just streaming down my face and whispering to God, I don't want to be here, God. I do not want to be here. I had just learned that night on the phone that my dad had six months to live, and I wanted to be in the doctor's office in Kentucky. I did not want to be on that couch in France. And I felt sure I really shouldn't say that out loud. I shouldn't even whisper it, to be honest. But God was big enough to hear my honest cry. And he just met me there. And he gave my heart this song, and I sang it on repeat for several days, maybe even weeks. I can't remember. But I just remember it welling up in my soul. Abide with me. Fast falls the eventide. The darkness deepens, Lord. With me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, abide with me. You see, I had imagined what our life was going to be like overseas. I'd read lots of books, you know, so kind of had it, you know. Um, I didn't know exactly what it was going to be like, but we had talked to some folks, and we'd even lived overseas before. So I knew it wasn't going to be on our own that we were going to do it. I knew it had to be God working in us and working through us. But still, I had some ideas. And there are just so many things that you can't read about. And there are so many things that you can't prepare for. And so many things that you can't imagine. Choosing to trust God through some really tough decisions for God's glory has been really hard. Sometimes God's choice for our family has not been my first choice. Sometimes it's been painful and it's been packed with suffering. But God never, ever said that making radical decisions based on trust in Jesus Christ would lead to happiness and cross-cultural bliss and that I'd be parading through lavender fields with, um, you know, brand new believers following me with their same equal, non-suffering bliss. That's not what he ever said, is it? No, but he did say very clearly in Isaiah 43 that when we walk through the valley, he will be with us and that the waves will not overcome us. And he said, do not fear, for I have redeemed you and I have called you by name and you are mine. For many months and years that followed, God has spoken scripture and songs and sometimes a combo of both of those to my heart, and he gave me a song to sing in response to him, even in the darkest of seasons. God has given my heart a song, and I, I know that, um, that he's been showing me who I am in him, how he designed me uniquely to use my gifts and my talents for his glory in this place in Lyon, France, even on the days I didn't want to be there. I used to love music and to sing, and there was a long season where I really didn't do anything with music. But in our time in France, there have been so many days where I have just belted out while I'm cooking in my kitchen. And there have been so many nights where I have sang quietly with tears on my pillow. And there have been so many sweet moments where we have sung through tears with 
my husband and my girls in our living room in worship. And there have been so many sweet moments of worshiping God with other believers in French in our very living room there in France. And I know because of what God has been doing in me these past five years that I am singing in hope. And I'm learning to trust him even more deeply. Just like we sing about, he's calling us to go deeper still. And that's what God's been doing to me these last five years. And it's by his grace alone, even when circumstances have not been what I want, I am resting on the fact that I am not a perfect missionary. And I am not a perfect wife. And I am not a perfect mother. And I'm never going to be a perfect French speaker. Let's just face it. Um, that Jesus Christ is perfect. And my good Father sees me through him. So our prayer today for Sojourn Church. Our prayer today for Sojourn Church, New Albany, for the church uh, that we started in Crawroos. And for our lives personally, is what we talked about in that second half. You know, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, and it's, you still, it's, it's about your performance. It's about what you got to do for God. Hear these words, maybe for the first time again, what Paul is praying to the church of Ephesus, starting in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power of work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations for and ever and ever. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And he took a cup of wine, and he said, this is my blood shed for you. Um, the musicians are coming forward, and we're going to have a time where we can remember all that God has done for us, how we've been reconciled through Jesus, um, and we are now justified. We are made whole. We are made new in him. Will you pray with me?